In this episode of the Two Fit Podcast. I say, yeah, it's a high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate approach to, you know, get rid of whatever your ailments are, brain fog, you know, our cells are primarily made up with fat. Are you ready to push the boundaries of performance mentally, physically, and everywhere in between? Welcome to the Two Fit Podcast, where the Two Fit Guys uncover the tips, tools, and tactics from elite performers in the fields of health, nutrition, athletics, and business that will set you up for success, deliver results, and help you on your journey to becoming Two Fit. Now, let's get started with your hosts, Jake and Josh, the Two Fit Guys. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Two Fit Podcast. That's right. You heard it here first. We're still alive and kicking. Joining you wherever you are, in your car, on your run, morning commute. You know, on the plane. Yeah. Wherever you are, we're there too. You know, the whole episode while we were doing this interview, I couldn't help but think of the song. So before we really formally introduce today's guest i feel like we should cue up the music she needs a walk-up song i think she needs a walk-up song just embrace this for about 28 seconds welcome to the two fit podcast Jake is thoroughly enjoying this. You can only see his dance moves right now. But Jake, tell him, tell him, tell him who today's guest is. If Maria, Maria, Maria gave him the hint, the first part, and if they clicked on this episode, they probably have a pretty good idea of who it is. <laughs> More than likely, cat's out of the bag now. But we had on Maria Marich. Maria is a author of nine books now, which is just outstanding in and of itself. But all of them revolving around the ketogenic diet. Her bestseller called the Ketogenic Cookbook. You know how she's able to write nine books because she's always in keto. <laughs> she's uh, performing at such a high level. She is either fasting in keto, both probably all the time, twenty four seven, and her production is through the roof. Yeah. A- after this interview, it makes me want to get on her level. Yeah, she is on another level, and she started her her like backstory. She was actually overweight out of shape, tired, found, you know, a high fat, low carb diet long time ago. And she's been living this life for a really long time and helping others do the same. So we talk, it's all keto recipes, snacks, how to get into ketosis faster, um, what you should feel like, what you should not feel like. Yeah. Any why, possible why you're not seeing results, downsides. even though you are in keto. Yeah. Yeah, all sorts of good stuff, really usable, tangible information. I thought it was a great interview. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. And uh, I think it's definitely, I know you. by this point in time, our listeners have heard us talk about keto, write about keto, tweet, you know, Instagram about it, etc. But I think this should be like a prerequisite almost for anybody before you actually start down this journey. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great starting point. And Maria is one of the best resources on the planet for ketogenic diets. So sit back and enjoy the show. All right, Maria, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Yeah, we're really excited about this episode. I think we're going to 
cover a lot of great topics that our listeners will be excited about. Uh, you For have sure. a ton of great information out there. But what we like to start off asking every guest, just because there's no one who can answer this question better than you, how do you <laughs> describe to people what you do? When people say, Maria, what do you do when you first meet them? What's your response to that? I guess I teach people to be keto. Yeah. And help people get keto. Yeah. And I'm trying to get it into ways where they don't need me. I have been spread a little thin lately. So that's why I'm, you know, putting out books and stuff. So my goal is for you to be able to get, you know, spend 20 bucks on a book. You don't need to buy my services. I mean, that's great and all. But honestly, I want you to be able to, I wanted to put it in as easy as possible ways that you can do it on your own. I guess that's what my goal is. It sounds like you're going to run yourself out of business. <laughs> no, I mean, that's really what I would like to do is just kind of, you know, just chill out. And I love to be in the kitchen cooking and writing. And that's That's great. So our listeners are pretty well acquainted with the ketogenic diet, a high fat diet. We've discussed it a few times on the show. But for any new listeners, maybe just a refresh, what exactly is the ketogenic diet or keto? Well, I like to start out by... When I talk to someone new, I say, well, we all agree that sugar is inflammatory, right? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, sugar's bad. And so I dive into even complex carbohydrates, once they enter your body, they're broken down into sugar. That's what they do. Our body's quite simple. But then I ask them, you know that your body can't store any excess protein. Then that's where people are like, really? I said, yeah, you can't. You know, anything in excess turns into sugar as if it were a carbohydrate. And I asked them what's left. And most of the time people say nothing. And I was like, no, that's the naughty F word. Uh And they, you know, usually laugh. And it's like, I say, yeah, it's a high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate approach to, you know, get rid of whatever your ailments are, brain fog, you know, our cells are primarily made up with with fat. One of the most common things I often see in um, older women, they're dealing with osteopenia or osteoporosis. And I like to tell them that their bone, the sheath of their bone is primarily made up of saturated fat, that demonized fat, not olive oil and all of that. I'm talking about this fat that your doctor's telling you to stay away from. The tasty fat. Um, because they're, usually their cholesterol is going up at that time too because of the hormone balance and all of that. But that's why I love the ketogenic diet for so many reasons. So how would I know if the ketogenic diet is right for me? Like, is it right for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think it's fantastic. I think it's, I mean, you have to know what you're doing and, you know, be educated. You don't want to just dive into it blindly because you're going to suffer some ill effects. It's not easy to transition from, you know, eating cereal and skim milk for breakfast to bacon and eggs. It's a little bit of a transition and there's some, and not to say that everybody has to do supplements, but that do help you like electrolytes and things like that to help you along the way to get keto adapted on that topic we've had this discussion with a few people we rap about it amongst ourselves often you know you hear that oh well there's not a one diet for everyone right these people are different genetically dna physiologically but we're all humans you know we're all made up of the same systems and there is a way that we are inherently meant to function and i've never bought into you know this person should be on a high fat diet. This person should be on a high carb, low fat diet. I think there's one way for us to eat. And I agree with you that physiologically, a high fat diet is how we reach peak performance and longevity. 
Yeah, honestly, I just see too many people dealing with these awful ailments and seeing them heal from a proper, you know, well-formulated ketogenic diet that I I believe it's for everyone. My kids eat this way. I mentioned that to Jake that they're six and seven and I'm not a short order cook. You know, they eat what we make and they really love it. And they're very aware of if they go to a birthday party or something, if something's going to make their stomach hurt, that they avoid it like the plague. And it's almost that I go to, you know, holiday parties and stuff like that for the social aspect. I don't hang around the food because I just know that that's just not (laughs) how I roll anymore. But they do that too. They hang out with their friends and have fun with friends because they know the food is going to make them feel bad. I'm not, you know, a Nazi that's not going to let them have it. But they're very, one of them anyway, is very aware that he does not want to feel sick. So he'll say, mom, does that cookie have sugar or, you know, and I'll say, yeah. Wow. That's great. He'll just avoid it. And then, you know, I don't mind coming home and making them good, you know, keto cookies and stuff (laughs) like that. I made bacon cookies the other day, made them into little hearts. (laughs) They're so (laughs) cute. (laughs) Might have to steal that recipe from you. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you come across when describing to people what the ketogenic diet is? Because I think even just, you know, when people hear a high fat diet, they automatically think Atkins, you know, yeah. so what, what's the difference between, you know, say ketogenic diet and Atkins even? Oh, well, you know, I guess it has some of the same aspects. I totally agree. But when it comes down to what I'm fuel sources, there's, you know, you could be a sugar burner or you can be a fat burner. And that's where the whole uh, ketogenic aspect comes into play. Um, I know Atkins now says you count net carbohydrates. And I say, if you want to be successful, you want to count total. And I guess I'm really picky about the food sources, or I think it's really important about the food sources. Uh, You know, you want to eat whole foods and gluten-free. And, you know, a lot of times I actually cut dairy from my client's diet because that is a common allergen that I see every single day. And for 50% of um, my clients, they don't do well when they have dairy. And I'm talking butter, I'm talking cheese, cream cheese, all of that. Heavy cream has got to go. And just trying to make that transition as easy as possible. I mean, I live in Wisconsin, that's the dairy state, you know? So it's, it's like blasphemy. I mean, you go to the gas station and you get cheese curds. That's what you really <laughs> That's awesome. Now, when you're talking total carbs, are you subtracting the fiber from that as well? No, no, no. That's when you people mistakenly are counting net carbohydrates. They subtract the fiber. You right. want to count total. So the fiber is also counting. And some people are like, well, how am I going to go number two if I don't have enough fiber, right? And it's like, hey, if you've ever had a newborn baby, you know that they go to the bathroom all the time. And they don't get any fiber. <laughs> So. Good to know. Now, Maria, why is it now that in the past year, two years, the ketogenic diet has made such a movement, you know, created a movement very similarly to the way paleo did? It's, it's become a keto is becoming a very, you know, sexy term, if you will. Honestly, I, will. <laughs> I think that we've just had, I mean, so many people succeed and do so awesome and athletes are doing awesome on the ketogenic diet that they're telling friends and they're telling other friends like honestly I've never even had to when I started my business I've never had to advertise or anything like that because it's all just word of mouth when somebody does awesome they tell a friend and they tell another friend and I think that's just what's going on with the whole keto community is that 
you know, Jake, you're drinking your bulletproof coffee and feeling great. And you tell somebody you got to try this. And, you know, I think it's just, I think a lot of it is word of mouth. And I think that's more powerful than anything. Now, if you don't mind, let's go down that road a little bit on the athlete topic, because I think there is a misconception, at least we've heard it a few times, that you can't build the same kind of muscle on a ketogenic diet that you can on a higher carbohydrate oh, yeah, diet. I can. I know and, I look a little, but man, my, I have guns. I'm serious. <laughs> I was in I believe you. <laughs> and, and my answer is carbohydrates don't build muscle. Protein does, you know. So could you enlighten us a little bit there on the kind of an athlete ketogenic diet? Well, are you familiar with mTOR? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you want to reach a certain amount of protein to reach mTOR, but it's really mTOR is when muscle building happens, but mTOR is also very aging on your cells. So there's kind of a fine balance. It takes a lot of energy to do that, but there's really not a lot of protein that you need to eat at one meal to reach mTOR around maybe 30 grams, right? And so an mTOR is going to happen if you reach that certain amount um, every few hours. So mTOR is coming from protein and amino acids help build muscle. Insulin and the human growth hormone, people think that you need, you know, carbohydrates to build muscle, but in reality, if you eat excess protein, that is going to cause that insulin to rise anyway. Ask any type 1 diabetic. I work with them all the time. They always often have to, you know, keep an eye on their blood sugar that way. But yeah, there's really no need for carbohydrates to build muscle. So I don't know. And when it comes to energy, um, running marathons myself, I remember when you would hit the wall, um, there's usually like a big wall at mile 20. And that's where you technically kind of run out of energy for in your muscle cells. But if you're running from ketones with ketones, I mean, man, it's like I laugh at that wall now. It's like, let's go. I don't know. It's just totally different. The energy is. <laughs> now, are you, now, what's the... Um... When you first started running marathons, were you doing the carb loading and all that as well? Mm, no, I was definitely low carb, but I wasn't mm -hmm. ketogenic maybe about a decade ago. So, and that's why when I was working with clients, I was like laying awake at night, like why isn't so-and-so getting off their blood pressure medication or whatever, but they were so metabolically damaged that it needs to go from a low carbohydrate to a ketogenic diet, which mm -hmm. I think that those two are totally different. Yeah. Is that meant by, by like Atkins and ketogenic? Right, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, low carb, I mean, it, people think, okay, Maria, I'm eating a chicken breast and steamed broccoli. And I'm like, okay, I wouldn't eat that. First of all, it's bland and gross and boring. And I wouldn't be able to stay on it for very long. Why not we switch to chicken thighs and something even lower carbohydrate than broccoli and add some fat to that? And most of the time people are like, really, this tastes way better anyway. You know, so it's going from a, a low carbohydrate, high protein type of a diet to, uh, you know, high fat, moderate protein. What would be the answer then if I'm still saying I am eating a high fat diet, maybe I am in keto, yet I still find myself bunking as an athlete? Um, I guess I would look at your, the macronutrients. I would also look at you know, how much salt you're getting, because a lot of times people are really limiting their salt intake, and that could help with energy, mm -hmm. you know, your electrolytes, that type of stuff. I would also suggest cutting dairy because dairy can raise insulin for a lot of people. 
And, you know, that rise in blood sugar is going to cause a, a slight drop in that. And that's where you're going to be bunking is with that fall. You're going to get hungry and that. Also looking at adrenal fatigue, how much are you sleeping, that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know. I like it. Perfect. And Maria, I like like things like um, avocado. I mean, an avocado has, you know, like 20 grams of carbohydrates. I try to limit that to under that in a day. So, you know, I had someone eating an avocado with dinner every day. I was like, ooh, we need to get rid of that, you know? Really? Yeah, Maria. So I'd like to just throw out kind of what, and I know Jake follows this as well because we, you know, experiment all the time with stuff. I would say we're certainly very low carb, rarely ketogenic, but we'll kind of take in our carbohydrates based on the the next day's activity. And we also take in the majority of the days of carbohydrates within an hour window after a strenuous workout, not, you know, a run or tennis or swimming, but a strenuous workout. Now, what that looks like is primarily very high fat diet all day, gym in the afternoon, an intake of about 40 to 60 grams of carbohydrate. Um, immediately following the workout to take advantage of this glute four transportation into muscle cells. What's your take on the kind of that approach and then going back into the high fat diet in the evening? If you have you ever read anything by um, Dr. Finney and Dr. Volick? Volick, yes. Um, the art and science of low carb performance. Would you do that? You're totally diminishing what you're trying to accomplish with a ketogenic type diet. So you know, carb loading on a ketogenic diet, you're going to get out of ketosis and you're going to kind of basically wipe out all of the benefits that you're going to get from a ketogenic diet. So sometimes people, I've worked with athletes that they can get up to, they were um, uh, doing Ironmans and things like that, can get up to, you know, 50, some days, 100 grams of carbohydrates and still be in uh, ketosis. But I still... You know, like, even though I don't think ketogenic is just about weight loss, it's about so many other things. Um, people are like, so when can I start adding in more carbohydrates? Where I just say, well, how about we just add in some more fat, you know? Because I, instead, if you don't want to lose any more weight, that type of stuff, calories fat-wise, rather than carbohydrates. Because, you know, I grew up with a lot of issues, and I would rather not go back to adding in those carbohydrates because it brings down a lot of sugar cravings and things like that. But I don't know if I really answered your question, but... um. (laughs) Well, no, it's okay. And I ask because, you know, trying... And I know Dr. Peter Atiyah has done a lot of work in this area where, you know, the performance from a muscular standpoint and glycogen depletion, you know, we have different, you know, if we're running, obviously being fat adapted has a greater benefit. But if we're under load uh, for an excess period of time, say 30, 45 seconds, we're out of kind of a creatine phosphate energy system more into a glycolytic. And to be able to have some glycogen stores readily available to perform in that movement, and as well as the carbohydrates are very low glycemic. So it's not a dextrose, a maltodextrin, it's a liquid solution. So I just throwing that out there to get your opinion on it. Okay, I guess um, I don't want to talk about another company or anything like that, but there's, uh, have you talked to um, Keto Gains at all? I have not. Um, check out Keto Gains on um, on Facebook. They're really massive bodybuilders that are totally keto, and they might be more of an expert in that than myself. So. Now, are they getting any other uh, any other help? <laughs> oh no no no, <laughs> no 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 no! No, actually, um, the main person he eats once a day. So oh, um, wow. yeah, 
he's massive, uh, Lewis. It's just interesting how, I mean, are you into intermittent fasting in all your workouts? You know, we haven't really dove into it and really experimented. Um, we, we experimented we, with some morning workouts fat in a fasted state, you know, where you cut off eating at 7 or 8 p.m. the night before. Yeah, we just haven't really done it, like, for a sustained period of time to really, you know, see if it's working for us or not. But what is your opinion on that? Because I know that's another one of these sexy terms that's kind of come up here lately. You see a lot of people doing it, and they're like, oh, I'm breaking my intermittent fast. Here's this huge meal I'm eating, et cetera. Um, what's your take on that? What's the benefit? Well, I would say that when you are keto, it's almost a natural side effect. I remember first hearing about this, I don't know, maybe a decade ago. And I, you know, going to college, they tell you to eat every two to three hours, got to fuel your metabolism, blah, 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 blah. And um, hearing about it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so bad for you and stuff. And now it's almost a side effect of being keto because you're so satiated and full. It's, that was, uh, <laughs> I try not to look at the Amazon reviews for my book because I'm such a sensitive person. <laughs> my husband said, oh, this is like the best worst review ever. They said, I hate this diet. I'm always so full. And it's like, hello, that's the point. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's almost a side effect of being keto, but that's why it helps a lot with um, people I work with with eating disorders is because they are um satiated they don't go back to that binging behavior it helps with those neurotransmitters again because you know our brain is so much fat but intermittent fasting i love it because first of all i work so much better in a fasted state i mean if you think about plato and gandhi and jesus and you know benjamin franklin they all talk about fasting albert einstein they all talk about fasting and how they work the best in a fasted state and I've totally reaped the benefits of, you know, that. So, um, and even Dr. Peter Itia, you know, he talks about when he goes, when he travels, you know, you have all this compromised food that I agree with, you know, fasting if you can, because it's just, you know, it's hard to get quality food when you are traveling. Now, what is happening there? Why are you able to work so much more efficiently in a fasted state? Well, your brain is... Um, well, even people that are eating a lot of carbohydrates, they wake up basically in a, you know, almost a ketogenic type state. They're fasting. And the mental clarity, when your ketones keep rising, your mental clarity is just so there. If you ever notice when you do have, I don't know if you notice this, um, maybe your meals are different, but after a hard workout, you do those higher carbohydrate. If you feel any type of brain fog or anything like that. Maybe you kind of notice it the next time. Why do you? You're smiling. <laughs> we, so this is interesting. Now we can't let too much of the cat out of the bag because of our company. We can't talk about a lot of the experimental stuff we're doing with supplements, but we did test some new products that aren't in the market yet. Uh, wrong, raw ingredients. We can talk to you about that off air later, but um, so we tested them before and during the workout and then had the product we currently make, which is a it's a plant-based carbohydrate with protein, a peptide formulation. And on the way back, Jake looks at me and he says, man, I, I feel slammed. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. And honestly, it probably hit me maybe 10 or 15 minutes after that. And I think it's much more than a coincidence given the ingredients we took, you know, an hour, two hours prior. Because we went from very, I mean, humming along mentally and physically to... <laughs> Jake like couldn't drive home. So, 
Yeah, it made my normal, you know, state just feel like a new low, basically. <laughs> but it's funny you talk about being satiated on it because in this intermittent fasting being a, basically a side effect of a high fat diet because I wasn't hungry for lunch like whatsoever. You know, I said, no, let's just go home and I'll be fine. But do you ever like try to benefit from the afterburn? Like just let it ride, let your human growth hormone just soar. What do you mean by that? No, what food? would I be doing? The afterburn, just not worrying about eating until you get hungry. Mm. No, no, we really don't. <laughs> but no, I'm because what you are. So when you are keto, you're using less branched chain amino acids. But when you keep fueling yourself with those carbohydrates, you're going to, you know, use up more of those branched chain amino acids. Therefore, that's why so many bodybuilders supplement with that. But ketogenic state, you don't need as much because you're using less. Same with like you're using less antioxidants. You know, you worry about free radicals and all of that. That's with a carbohydrate rich diet versus a ketogenic diet. And honestly, like I've never been, you know, more ripped now than I was before. And I used to be concerned about making sure to eat right after a workout, after a lift. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Check out that. Yeah, we we're going we're gonna to experiment with that and we'll uh, follow up with you and let you know. For sure. Cool. Do you think there's any advantage to being uh, kind of another one of these terms that's out there, metabolically flexible? You know, switching from being able to switch from burning, you know, sugars from carb sources to fats? No, specifically for the athlete <laughs> as an athlete yeah say i'm doing like a crossfit workout like i want to be keto most of the time except for when i'm in a you know i'm having a very glycolytic workout yeah but then you're gonna create more oxidative stress i guess i would never even break that so mm-hmm. that's where i stand <laughs> you are like the hardest podcast i've ever done <laughs> That's <laughs> you about my kids. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we we apologize, but no, this okay. is all good stuff. So we can chalk that one up to more of a myth, kind of like a oh, that sounds really cool to do, but not going to be very efficient. Yeah, for sure. Repeat yourself. Oh, I was saying that. So we can chalk that one up to kind of more of it sounds cool, but it's not going to be very efficient to be oh, no, metabolically you know, it's flexible. A, it's, a, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can handle it. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like it would be a really good idea. But in the end, I think that you're going to age your cells faster. Mm-hmm. Again, you're going to use more oxidative stress, creating more free radicals. And, you know, don't underestimate what keto can do if you let it if you, you know, let it go long enough, you know, and you might need to, you know, stick with it for a month or longer in order to really get that adaptive state where you just like, I mean, your energy is just sore and like, people are always like, how much caffeine have you had, Marie? And it's like, you know, I can't even handle caffeine anymore. Oh, that's awesome. I would love to be there. I'm kind of on the other side of the spectrum. But uh, what are some things that we can do to accelerate getting into keto? Uh, you mean food wise or food wise or habit wise, you know, maybe fasting, et cetera, what, whatever in your experience, you know, what helps uh, you get into keto quicker than that month time period? Like you're talking about where you really see those benefits. She's always in keto. <laughs> I mean, for like newbies. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, really look at what's interesting. I always get the question, like, why can't I eat normal Maria? And it's like these foods that we're uh, like putting in our mouth. They're new foods, you know, evolutionary wise. Like we have not had cereal and skim milk and these granola bars. Like 
we don't really know how to digest this type of stuff. So that's not normal to me. It really isn't. Um, so first of all, I would just say, look at, you know, if it comes from a package, think again. You know, that's something that we don't do. If it, if it has like a label on it, it's, it's not just, food. Yeah, right. So um, really step back and think about everything that comes from a package. Think twice. And, you know, really look at the carbohydrates. Try to lower them um, as much as possible. Play it like a game of golf. You know, that could be a way to slowly get to do it. You know that the lowest score wins. And if you find um, something, you know, a vegetable that you really like, if you can get something that's lower in carbohydrates, maybe switch to that. And then start to switch from chicken breast to chicken thighs or something, you know, like instead of a pork chop, maybe have pork belly, you know, something that's a better macronutrient for protein to fat ratio. Um, I'm doing a book right now with Dr. Rosedale and I asked him about the, like the recipes and stuff. And he said, as long as it doesn't have over 20 grams of protein per serving, I'm fine with it. And that's really difficult. Hmm. I mean, yeah, no kidding. Pork has about 56 grams of protein. So it's not like you're going to have like a third of a pork chop, right? That's not fun. So I really had to delve down into like, okay, chicken thighs are out. Like I really had to think about what I'm putting together in order to stay in underneath that, that guideline. Yeah, that Maria, are you making sure, is that just in concern for the gluconeogenesis process? You, yeah. don't, you don't want to get into that? He's okay. actually um, more lenient on carbohydrates. He's very strict on his protein amount. So I saw you, you had the statement in your, um, you had a really good one and two part series from Paleo FX on their website. And you had the statement that's on this topic here, you know, with our current food system, we are all predisposed to diabetes. And I think that's a very powerful statement that should hit home with everyone because that's how powerful the ketogenic diet is. You know, eating, it's not a diet. It's just the way to eat for our bodies. What's other than weight loss, which a lot of people associate uh, with the diet, what are some of the most remarkable things you've seen with clients or, um, you know, other people on the ketogenic diet? Um, One that really sticks out with me is a client of mine who has type 1 diabetes. She's a lovely woman. Um, I think she's 28. We talk every once in a while. And she does not gain weight when she cheats. And she says she wishes she did because she has such extreme diabetes that she just had a baby and she had a stroke. And when she is on the keto, her A1C when we first met was like 11.5. And ideally you want to be under five. That 11.5 was extremely alarming. You know, having a stroke is common and she did. Um, but what really stuck out with me is that people think that you have to be overweight to have, um, you know, type two diabetes, but I see so many people that are thin and they have, you know, type two diabetes. She in fact had type one, but again, people, people that I talk to that have these extreme illnesses, they say that they wish that they would gain weight when they would cheat because we're such a vain society that, you're almost forced to change things when your jeans get tight and stuff. You're like, Oh, I need to lose those 10 pounds. Right. So you don't see that internal inflammation. And that's why I'm so passionate about this because I've had so many illnesses with my grandparents and, you know, other family members, you know, such as strokes or my grandma, Rosemary, she has Alzheimer's terribly. And that's known as type three diabetes. 
And when you try to tell that to like my parents, it wasn't until Dr. Oz talked about it that it was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. did you know that Alzheimer's had three diabetes? I was like, yep, I've been trying to tell you that. But, you know, it, like, again, she's, you know, she's not overweight, but she definitely had, you know, that's where the brain fog comes in because your brain doesn't want to use glucose anymore. It's like overwhelmed with that glucose. And that's why, you know, if you feed them, you know, ketones and, you know, the ketosis way, mm-hmm. um, that cognition starts to come back. And that's maybe where that brain fog came into play um, with that supplement. But gosh, there's so many. I had a client in India who she let her type 2 diabetes go so far because, again, she didn't gain weight that she became basically type 1 and type 2. So she's on a whole slew of medications. I had a girl in college who sent me, she called me and she sent me all of these texts of her body was all red splotches. And they were like that for months. And she, I mean, she was a pretty girl, but she never wanted to go out because she just was, you know, had all these splotches all over her. And within three days, she sent me pictures and they were gone. Wow. That was, that was partly some of the supplements we put her on, but partly was, you know, getting rid of some autoimmune responses. Um, Supplements helped her feel really fast, but those are just a few. What were some of those supplements? If you don't mind um, divulging Um, Maria. I had her on evening primrose oil. I also got her on a dehist. Um, Just some common things that get rid of those, you know, rashes and stuff like that. Was it like psoriasis or something of that nature? It was something of that nature. She never was technically diagnosed, but most of the time psoriasis, I don't see it all over the body like that. It was, I mean, it was everywhere, you know? Yeah, it is surprising when we hear these stories about these, you know, crazy ailments that these people have. They get on a high fat keto diet and it disappears. But the funny thing is that's basically how the keto diet got started, though. It wasn't in the early 1900s. There's a lot of research out there about, I, I guess it first came out about helping kids with seizures. Right. Um, what's the latest research that's out there now? Is there, are they doing more on like the everyday, you know, population? No, no. I think that they're really, um, they have a lot of pushback, I believe, with uh, research because if we do start to, you know, not need medication and the pharmaceutical companies, I mean, that's a huge driver of studies. I mean, and the money has to come from somewhere. And we're just all little peons that, you know, I mean, we don't have the pharmaceutical money to fund these studies. Sure. So I don't think that they might be getting out there. I know um, Dr. Volek and Finney have done a lot of, you know, research and things like that, but they go out with a thud because they feel that they don't want to be known. And honestly, you know, I don't know if everybody, you know, what would happen if we all got rid of the corn industry and, you know, all of those packaged foods. I mean, it'd be a really interesting uh, society. It's it's sad to say, but I I think you are completely right. And I think they obviously know they have smart people working in the government and they clearly know. And I think it's really the reason that the my pyramid or the pyramid and my plate has been structured the way it is to, um, I mean, really to sum it up, to almost keep people sick. Yeah, I was on um, a television show and I was supposed to be on there with a guy who wrote Serial Killer. This was maybe six or seven years ago. And he didn't 
come on. He didn't show up. He wasn't in the green room. And so I emailed him. I said, oh, I thought you were going to be on the show with me today. And he said, did you notice the name of the the street that you drove in to to park? And I was like, General Mills Boulevard. And they, the, the TV show that we were supposed to be on together was owned by General Mills. And he's like, you know, I'm sure there was just a conflict of interest that they canceled on me. Wow. Sure. I think that even though he had a really great, you know, show ready for them, it was just going to bash General Mills, you know? Good grief. How about, I know I saw some success stories on your website about women having infertility problems. And, you know, they were getting treatments for a couple of years. And then once they finally got on, on your program, they quit the treatments and they were actually able to have have children. Yep. A lot of times we suffer from um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome is a common, basically a pre-diabetes state that women suffer from. That's when sometimes they'll have dark facial hair. They don't always have to be overweight to have this. Um, a lot of times there's acne involved low progesterone and low progesterone when I see this in teenage girls where they they can fall asleep but they wake up in the middle of the night like bing I'm totally awake Mm -hmm. or maybe 3 a.m they just can't sleep anymore a lot of anxiety goes along with that to make healthy hormones cholesterol is what makes healthy hormones so if we get them on a high cholesterol diet usually a dairy-free high cholesterol diet so you know coconut oil fat bombs and things like that they do magnificently well. And that too is what something I dealt with too. So our children are from Ethiopia. So that's just how we roll. (laughs) Now, for those who don't know, what is a fat bomb? A fat bomb is basically a little, it could be a sweet or a savory little treat. That's basically, you know, I like to think of it as keto candy. It's it's basically primarily made up of fat, you know, so... Sounds dangerous. <laughs> you know, like sometimes it's coconut oil and cocoa powder or something like that. And that sounds great. Fat bomb. <laughs> Do you work with um, animals at all? I have an animal. <laughs> yeah. I just asked just for, for Josh's benefit here because he's recently had a, a dog that got diagnosed with diabetes. He's he's really old dogs, just something that I don't know what they. He's only 12. Okay. <laughs> <It's only 12. laughs> but see, that's so sad because the dog food today is primarily made up with grains and rice. And like our dog eats raw beef heart. And the reason why she does is because we used to buy really expensive dog food because I had a dog that had food allergies and we had job losses and the economy and all of that. So we were like, huh, how could we still feed our dog really well? We looked into the barf diet. And um, raw beef heart, you can get some for so cheap at really? your butcher, and they grind it up for you, and they put it in packages. And, really? Yeah. Wow. Raw, and raw beef heart. How much are you feeding them, whatever the weight is, you know, cup per pound? Um, she's about 40 pounds, and she gets about um, maybe uh, three-fourths of a cup in the morning and then another in the evening. She's very uh, lazy. She's not like... <laughs> She's not running with me anymore. And so. no, no problems with food allergies anymore on that diet? No, no, not at all. No. And yeah. that's the thing, like I wrote um, in my book, I wrote about how I, when I went to the doctor as a teenager with IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome and depression, 
never once did she ask me what my diet was, but she asked if I wanted to go on an antidepressant. And she also gave me a prescription for some IBS medication. But you know what? When I brought my dog to the vet that was losing its hair, what are you feeding her? That was the first thing that he asked. And that I hear that time and time again. Your doctor never asks you what you eat, but vets do all the mm-hmm. time. Now, how often does she get a fat bomb? She get any fat bomb treats too? <laughs> she does when I'm cooking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and see, it's it's been a goal of mine to reverse my dog's diabetes, but we've been so busy. I haven't started. He's he's had it for about five months. Oh my gosh, raw beef heart is so easy, and they package it. You just like squirt it into their dish, and they get so excited about it. You don't have to. <laughs> You don't have to cook it at all. But what's interesting is I worked with a man who um, had horses and he told me that his when he bought this horse, they said, don't put him in an alfalfa field. And they said, why not? And they said, see the split hooves? And he said, yeah. He goes, that horse has diabetes. So that's an external sign of diabetes. And alfalfa has a high amount of carbohydrates. It's very sweet. So you couldn't feed him that or carrots or apples, that type of stuff for a treat. He'd wow. have bombs. <laughs> yeah, and see, it was very frustrating for my wife and I when we found out he had diabetes because for the last eight years of his life, he's eaten a completely grain-free, low-carbohydrate. He has been on a low-carbohydrate diet. And the vet said it could have just been age. His pancreas just isn't producing, you know, functioning the way it, it should yeah. And things are just kind of going kaput on him, unfortunately. But I'm certainly going to try the raw beef heart. We're going to make both of our dogs case studies. Because mine, <laughs> mine suffers with terrible food allergies as well. Oh. And just that constant licking, you know, like yeah. of the paws and her belly. Just I, I'm tired of waking up to it, you know. <laughs> and I've got her allergy tested and all that stuff. And she eats a very restricted diet as well. But it still just has some problems. So we're yeah. going to... We'll make yeah, them thank case you studies for, the, a, for the tip. There's there. also doggy probiotics that help with that too. Help really? with their butt flora. Yeah. Good to know. We didn't plan on getting on this topic, but I'm glad this came up. Yeah. <laughs> this is some rich information. <laughs> yeah. Now, Maria, if we could track back to the cholesterol, because that's a hot topic uh, today as well. Um, yeah. lo- the last few years, a lot about the cholesterol myth hitting mainstream. You know, butter was on the front of Time mm-hmm. magazine. So, one, can you possibly eat too much butter? And two, could you highlight some of the myths behind cholesterol. (laughs) Yes, you can have too much butter, (laughs) especially if you have a dairy allergy. Um, I even cut ghee out of the diet. So again, if you can handle dairy, butter's fantastic. But again, people don't understand you can utilize the fat on your body to produce ketones. You don't necessarily have to consume them. Okay. If you're constantly consuming ketones, you metabolically do not have to burn the ketones on your body. And the reason why I didn't finish my idea of why I love to intermittent fast for people in general, it's because your body can, when you're not focused on digesting food all the time, if you're eating every two hours, it can focus on regenerating your cells and healing those cells. If you fast for longer than three days, you're actually going to get into, you know, really rebuilding those cells. But um, intermittent fasting, where you just close the window into maybe like a six hour window that you're eating in a day, maybe at like 10 and three or whatever it is, 10 and four, then you're going to just start to, you don't have to always be focused on digesting food. Your body can start to repair the cells. I've worked with a lot of people that 
get their their mitochondria tested and they're damaged and um you really can start to heal those with extended fast that way but okay so the dairy the cholesterol thing i spoke at a conference where the lady that spoke before me she was a dietitian at the local hospital and she talked about how you have to get rid of all cholesterol you have to use canola oil and it was just like oh my gosh you know i have to follow this lady and I didn't want to make her feel stupid either. You know, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. So when I got up there, I just started by asking, you all agree that the best food for a newborn to eat is breast milk, right? Everybody agrees that. And I said, do you know that breast milk is primarily made up of cholesterol? And everybody was like, really? And I was like, yes, because cholesterol helps make healthy hormones for the baby to grow properly. It's forming their thyroid hormone. It's forming their gonads. It's forming all of that stuff. And without healthy cholesterol, this is why men that I see that are on a statin drug, they also take Viagra. And that's because the cholesterol that they no longer have is pushing down their testosterone. And so they need the Viagra help also. And that's why women, when they go through menopause, they are often concerned that their cholesterol numbers are going up. Is it a bad thing? No, it's because their ovaries are no longer producing progesterone and estrogen. And their cholesterol is just trying to yell at their ovaries to produce that. It's never going to happen, but it will stay elevated and their doctors get concerned and they put them on a statin and it goes downhill from there. That's Statins are the number one killer of the mitochondria and it's all downhill from there. I think everyone probably listening either knows someone in their family or has a friend that has either been told to be on a statin or has been on a statin at some point. I know that it contributed to my wife's grandfather's death, and they've asked my dad to be put on a statin. I read all of his lab work that comes in, and I've helped him transform his diet and get his numbers back to a a respectable level. What are some of the steps, the initial steps people can take to get off a statin and properly write their numbers? Well, first I would um, get their A1C tested and a calcium score. That's uh, what you really want to be concerned with to know if you really do have a heart disease um, factor in the play. And then if you, in fact, do have inflammation going on, if your A1C is up by 11 rather than under 5, then for sure you really need to, and this can happen with people that don't think that they have a problem with carbohydrates, you know, then they really need to limit their carbohydrates and get rid of those inflammatory grains, you know, maybe starting with paleo, but you need to really just take it up a step to get rid of even those high carbohydrate vegetables too, because they're just causing that inflammation. What's interesting is um, celiac is something that I deal with all the time with clients and only 8% of celiacs truly heal. And that's because they're always inflaming their gut with high carbohydrate rice flour products and you know just too high carbohydrate of foods. And so, yeah, you ask if this is the right diet for everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so the issue there on the cholesterol is that they're still taking in too many carbohydrates, which are oxidizing the cholesterol itself, contributing to plaque buildup. Yeah, I would suggest um, adding K2 probably more like 300 micrograms of K2, not K1. K2 is going to help get the calcium into the bones 
And so it stops having that plaque buildup happen. Anybody with like kidney stones, gallstones, uh, heart disease. I mean, my dad, my grandfather had his first heart attack at 32. And so I mail my dad K2. And I was like, just take this with your first meal of the day, dad. You know, (laughs) don't even ask questions. Just do it. (laughs) Do it because you love me. Do it because Dr. Oz said to. (laughs) There you you go. If you could just get him to say it. Yeah. Now, what are some other things that you do, like habit-wise or even supplements, but just in addition to your diet to maintain your cellular health? I love to uh, do cold therapy. Are you guys into that? Oh, yeah. So I do that every night. I could show you. I don't know. Yeah, please do. Can you see the snow out there? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Looks, I'm jealous. I mean, it's, it's chilly down here in Texas right now, but n- oh, yeah, not right. nearly to that level. <laughs> um, so if you friend me on Facebook, you'll see my profile picture. I have a face mask on. You can only see my eyeballs and I have icicles where I was breathing <laughs> really? and my, yep. And my eyelashes are just icicles too, running in about, I don't know if it's 30 below zero wind chill, but if you dress properly, it feels invigorating. I feel alive. I have to wear scuba socks so my toes don't freeze. But so that, I, I guess, cold therapy in the summer, I do ice baths or, um, you know, I'll do that type of stuff just for cellular health that way. I also am into grounding. So trying to walk barefoot on the earth, but also now that that's not really possible with the cold weather, we have a grounding mat by the computer just to help with uh, grounding to the earth so you can change stuff. I should guess I should back up. You, the mitochondria, can, it's um, 90% water and you can negatively charge that water or positively charge that water. We're so concerned of eating alkaline or you know not having acidic foods and stuff. It's more about negatively charging those cells and you can do that through grounding to the earth doing cold therapy that type of stuff and that's all in that i did i wrote a book the 30-day keto cleanse and that's where i write about all the different guidelines on how to try to help heal that mitochondria health yeah on the water i saw an article you had um, on your other website with the fourth phase of water yeah. And I didn't have access to it, but I assumed, and correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that had to deal, probably discusses structure water. Yes. Yep. Could you yep. highlight that a little bit as well and, and maybe what the purpose of structure water is? Well, it's all about easy water. And are you familiar with easy water? Yes. A little bit. Are your readers, listeners familiar with that? It's not, not something we've gone into uh, in depth at all. But we're very familiar with water. In fact, my dad is, that's primarily his line of work. So, oh, that's really cool. What does he do? So, he's a water engineer for the city. He has all these licenses. He understands exactly how, how you structure water, how it works, you know, what the differences are, all that sort of stuff. So, I bounce those ideas off him pretty often. Okay. Well, it's a really uh, complex idea of, Again, the mitochondria is the powerhouse part of your cell that you get energy from. And again, you can negatively or positively charge that. And so when you consume, you know, like trying to get ice cold water throughout the day, drinking ice cold water, that's why I don't even drink coffee anymore because first of all, the caffeine messes with your adrenal hormones. (laughs) (laughs) That was Um, evident for me. Yes. (laughs) That's one vice I don't know if we'll it's be able to It's just another kick. stressor that you don't want to have going on. 
but also, you know, you want to try to, you know, heal your mind, the, the cellular part of the mitochondria that way. I mean, it's pretty in-depth. It's really hard to, <laughs> I'm a better writer when it comes to that. <laughs> well, maybe just what is the benefit of structured water over regular old, you know, even not tap water, but even just good filtered water? Well, what I'm concerned about, especially if you have any type of thyroid disorder, you know, if you are getting, you know, water with chlorine or fluoride in it, like a city water, you know, you're getting a lot of chemicals that way. And you can even taste it. If you're not, we live on a well. And so we can really control what's in our water and all the minerals that are in there. And if you're drinking like fluorinated or chlorinated water, you're getting a lot of chemicals that way. But Bottled water is going to be pretty much devoid of any of those minerals. And what's interesting is some people are hard on me because I'll recommend supplements like magnesium and for some people, potassium and things like that. And they're like, well, if this is the perfect diet, why do I have to supplement? And I'm like, well, hold on, because we used to get magnesium in our water supply. We live in Wisconsin or even Texas. You notice how the farmers have to rotate their crops? It's because the crops deplete the soil of the nutrients and so they're basically even the crops today are devoid of the nutrients that they once had and you can tell that with like if you grow broccoli in your garden it's green and it tastes really good and then you've got big broccoli at the grocery store it's like kind of this pale green color and it doesn't really have much flavor but we used to have uh, a ton of magnesium in our water supply and we're totally devoid of that now and you just don't get the adequate amount that you need. That's why supplements, I think, are really like great for taking it just to the next step. All right, let's get into. You keep wanting us to ask about your kids, so let's <laughs> let's get on to ki- kids and keto. <laughs> yeah, I was just kidding. They're just easy to talk about. I mean, are yeah, they are it. they eating sardines and everything? Oh yeah! Wow. So, how did you get them to that point? Because I can only imagine. Some of our friends, we don't have kids yet ourselves, but some of our friends who do, trying to get those kids to eat sardines or or a high-fat diet, how did you get them to do that? Was it like from day one? It was from day one. You know, they when they came into our life, they were just over one, and uh, Micah was two and a half. And in Ethiopia, food was quite different than what it was now, but they loved, they loved it. I mean, that's the thing. Like you have to start them out on it right away and don't lose that habit. So for a while we weren't buying sardines just because we ran out and then we brought them back in and they're like, uh, what is this? It's like, you just have to try it. And then they're like, oh yeah, I remember liking it, you know, but they will get hungry and they will eat when, you know, they, I guess it's just, if you're bringing that stuff into the house, is it for you or is it for them? Because they're not going to the store, right? True. And, you know, my kids don't know what chicken nuggets are. They've never had them. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, we drove by a McDonald's and it has a big, you know, the big M. And my son said, ooh, M is for Micah. And I was like, exactly, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and another funny story is we were camping and my son, the people that were camping there before us must have had M&Ms. And he brought me this, you know, bright red M&M. And he's like, Mom, this Lego looks weird. <laughs> I was like, little do you know, that's a, that's a piece of chocolate, but I didn't tell him. <laughs> you so, know, but it's just, that's, 
just how it is, you know. No, that's awesome. So what are some of your favorite go-to snacks? Jake referenced the sardines. We have those on hand regularly when we're on the road, you know, the little canned um, sardines and olive oil or water, whatever. But what are some of your go-to snacks on a high, this keto diet? Because, you know, you talk about keto and, and everyone automatically jumps to avocado, butter, coconut oil, and it can be difficult for people to wrap their minds around, wow, I need to eat 200 to 250 grams of fat today. You know, where do I get all that? Well, Josh, think about that. You can utilize the fat on your body. So don't get obsessed with the fat grams that way because you want to eat fat to satiety. If you are full, don't underestimate that you will produce ketones from your body. And that's really beneficial. So I guess snack-wise, I guess we love deviled eggs. When I get eggs, I just automatically boil a dozen so we always have hard boiled eggs and then my kids love help making deviled eggs. So that's kind of a great dairy free snack. Gosh, there's just so many. I don't even know where to start. Fat bombs. Fat bombs, bacon cookies, um, <laughs> that type of stuff. But honestly, you could name anything and I've recreated it. I hostess cupcakes. I have a recipe for that, you know. Do I eat that type of stuff all the time? No, I don't. But I do really like ice cream and you can make dairy-free ice cream. That's something that I keep in the freezer all the time. So, you know, you can make it with coconut milk, but I've also made a bulletproof type ice cream that does not use coconut milk because a lot of people are like, oh, I hate that taste of coconut. And it's like, oh, you don't have to do that. So you just throw everything in a blender and then you throw it in your ice cream maker and ta-da, it's done. And, you know, I guess I've recreated anything, you know, but... Again, snacks, I guess we don't do a lot of snacks. We usually eat like, you know, meals when we, you know, sit down and eat. I think like with giving kids a lot of snacks, they don't then eat your dinners and things like that, or they're picky eaters. If they're hungry, they can totally eat something. But I grew up on like bed night snacks where my mom was like, okay, bed night snack. And it was always like, you know, toast with honey and, you know, all of this type of stuff. And we weren't even hungry. It was just like, she thought we were going to like die in our sleep if we didn't eat something before bed. And that, like, that was the hardest habit for me to break because I had that terrible habit for 20 plus years. So, you know. Yeah, we'll just go take a look at uh, Maria's Instagram feed and you can get a, a pretty good idea that you can still treat yourself while on a ketogenic diet. Yeah. You got some pretty amazing looking things on there. Thank you. I can't lie. Well, Maria, this has been an awesome podcast. We've really enjoyed it. All the information. I know our listeners are enjoying it as well. Where can they go for kind of a first step into the ketogenic diet? What uh, were some of the resources we can point them? Well, I have a website at mariamindbodyhealth.com. Or if you just want to ask me some questions, you can check me out at Keto Adapted on Facebook. Um, we're really fast at answering questions. And otherwise, uh, Instagram at Maria Emmerich. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. You also have a really cool keto adapted calculator on your website. People can plug in um, all of their measurements and get uh, their macronutrient ratios. Yep. Yep. And then you could ask us questions, uh, what, what we think of your macros and things like that. And so we try to help out as much as possible. Like I said, like, you know, I can't, I wish I could help everybody more than I am. But that's why we, you know, my husband and I, we're, we answer everybody's question. That's for sure. Awesome. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me.
I say, yeah, it's a high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate approach to, you know, get rid of whatever your ailments are, brain fog, you know, our cells are primarily made up with, with fat. 